Yo. Head up, think fast. You're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net. Oh, yeah. All us geeks, fresh your bet. We round the world. We round the net. So get ready and get set. Because we make it look easy. No sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host. Yeah, they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys going to get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look And don't forget to sign our Facebook Cause what they doing is board games, video games Yeah, they on it, they fly like a comet Interviews is up, this podcast is pure Give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure Geek out any topic, no one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it So if you wanna go and get it on Then head to allisgeeks.com Welcome to episode 57 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. Remembered how to do it. That's something. It's a step up from <laughs> the last time. I'm uh, right there, brother. High five, man. Something. Yeah. Oh, this is getting <laughs> weird and awkward fast. <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, Don's here. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hey, Don. <laughs> uh, don't mind the hug. <laughs> That's not my phone in my pocket. <laughs> I, I'm well aware. <laughs> so I do have a geeking out topic I wouldn't mind discussing with the two of you guys. So do you want to do the geeking out topic and then your segment before the game review? Or sounds good. Okay. So our geeking out topic is sponsored by Matthew Robinson, one of our Patreon supporters. And what I kind of ran this by Jordan the other day because I wanted to to talk about it. <laughs> I like how you've completely forgotten any conversation I've ever had with you. You're looking at me like, uh, dude, we haven't talked in like a month. What are you? <laughs> this was like 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 a few days. Like you were at my house on Sunday and we talked about this. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'll tell you what, painkillers and muscle relaxants, you know. My short terms for the last week has been fried. You'll remember when I get into it. Okay. Um, so the topic I wanted to cover is, you know, there's all these little uh, accessory style companies kind of ah, popping up. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There you go. That are making inserts for games now, right? And I don't fault them at all for creating a business uh, around a need. And I've bought them myself. I've got I've got several of them around the, around the house here, but. I wanted to, I wanted to have a conversation with you guys about is it okay now for publishers because publishers are getting to the point where they're like, yeah, here's an advertisement for somebody that makes a better insert than we do. Is that acceptable for us as as gamers to kind of accept the fact that sure you're gonna put in crappy inserts and and tell me about another company to go to to spend another I don't know thirty forty bucks sometimes to as much as the game yeah to kind of build out the inside of your box. How do you guys feel about that? I don't I don't fault them for doing that. The insert, I'm sure, is the last piece of design anybody's doing. They're, <laughs> they're looking at their art. They're looking at their components. And then they're looking at what's the least we can put into something. And some of the games I've seen, it really is the least you can put into something. <laughs> it's the first thing that gets yanked out of the box right. for me, uh, there for are the so most many, part. I mean, Fantasy Flight, they're LCGs. Oh. I mean, those are great games, but do you need that starter box to be that big with 
just two decks of cards and the big <laughs> divot the, well in it. And everything's in that, yeah, that's just yep. that little middle well. <laughs> no, I, I don't blame companies for jumping on this because so many companies, so many game producers, it's just an afterthought, I'm pretty darn sure. Right, and again, I don't blame the companies filling the vacuum. What I'm saying is, is it acceptable now for the the actual companies to go, yeah, yeah. We're just going to tell you somebody else does this better than we do. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> is it acceptable? I don't think so, but is it surprising? No. I mean, how many boxes have we opened where it's, it's just like the fantasy flight? I picked on them, but I'll, like the <laughs> Marvel deck builder, that whole big box built for expansion, but you know, it was really just like four big decks of cards, you know, a lot of dead space in there and it's, and it's not sized for sleeving your cards or for all the expansions that have come out. You know, couriers had to do a whole new box so that you could have all your dice in one box. They, you know, it's, it's not acceptable, but it's not surprising. It's a solution to a problem that never should have existed. Yes. Right. Inserts. It's not like rocket science. <laughs> Any of us could design a good insert. Well, we want how to put the stuff back in the box. Mm-hmm. It's not that complicated, really. But they've been doing it wrong for forever. Right. And having somebody else solve the problem doesn't mean that they're not screwing up still. I'll accept that someone else is doing this and I'll buy their stuff, but I'll never be happy with it. Right. And, and I, like I said, the, the biggest reason that this kind of popped in my head for something to have a conversation with you guys is because I opened a game here recently and the first thing I see is, well, here's a company where you can get a real insert. <laughs> You know, it's just like, to me, that was like the ultimate cop out. I mean, you know, sometimes you open boxes and they might say, here's a company that makes sleeves because we don't make sleeves. That's I I get that. But to open it up and go, yeah, we didn't even try on the insert. Go, go talk to these guys. (laughs) Got me thinking, it's like, is this where we're at? Is this acceptable that, you know, I just spent 40 some dollars on this game and now you're telling me to go spend at least 20 most of the times, if not more. To get a proper insert so everything fits the way it should. Yeah, I just, I kind of have an issue with that. And again, I don't have an issue with the the companies that fill that need because it's there. The need is there. Of course, somebody needs to fill it and they're doing it and more power to them. But to me, <laughs> yeah, when you get that lazy or you're just like, it's not we like it could, we're not gonna. <laughs> it's not like it can't be done. I have a bunch of games on my shelf where I'm very happy with the insert, but the vast majority aren't. Right. And it's... Uh, it's ridiculous that they can now just point to somebody else and brush it off. You know, I am loath to say anything nice about Wizards of the Coast, <laughs> but Words of Waterdeep, mm-hmm. the box sucked, but it's, <laughs> it's the complete opposite. The box was horrible, but it's like one of the best inserts ever because everything <laughs> fits properly and is also easily removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they kind of suffered that same thing you were talking about before, you know, like where Quarriers at, at least redesign their box to fit more stuff in after expansions. Mm-hmm. Lords of Waterdeep was just like, yeah, keep the second box. And yeah. I mean, cause it was so perfectly fitted to what came in the box. So, you know, you, you, you kind of got that balance too. It's like everybody raved about the Lords of Waterdeep inserts. Like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. This is what every game should be. And then the next one came out and they're like, well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm taking up two spaces on my shelf because now this is the best expansion insert ever. <laughs> no, I just wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about that with you guys. Like I said, it, I opened that box, I saw that, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> but whether we're happy or not, the reality is we don't choose to not buy a game because the insert's bad. Right. And there's a lot of games where it's like, open the box, 
inserts on the floor, <laughs> you know, in the trash. And I'm already throwing things in baggies and stuff because it's going to fit better in the for in in the long run anyway. Even if we know better, we want the game. We don't. Yeah, we're not buying it for the insert, so we suck it up and deal with it. And again, we do love the companies that make the inserts. <laughs> Uh, they, they have been doing an amazing job. Like I said, I've got several of them sitting around the house here now. And, uh, especially for, like you said, the LCGs and the Pathfinder adventure card game, stuff like that. Those have been great inserts to kind of have and, and to get everything organized. All right, so now Don is going to educate us, is that? Yes. All right, so Don is going to let us know uh, what's going on in the world anime, and that is uh, sponsored by Mike F., one of our Patreon supporters. I get a sponsor? Yeah. Holy you, crap. You're doing a segment, aren't you? I am, wow. Well, thank you, Mike. Well, what I'd like to talk about today is something I've alluded to a few times before, something called the language of film. And when I say that, I don't mean like the English language versus the Japanese language. I talk about something that's just inherent in film itself. If you look at filmmakers today, whether it's Hollywood or anime or otherwise, they're not creating in a vacuum. They've been watching movies, TV, whatever, throughout their whole lives. So the stuff they're making now, whether subconsciously or consciously or both, they're copying the styles that they've seen throughout their lives. Camera angles, timing, setup of scenes, characterizations, all that stuff. A lot of it you're seeing today has just been built on the history of film. And it's developed a whole language kind of behind the scenes that it's not just the creators that know this language and use this language. Us as viewers know it very well as well, as we have grown up with these things and seen it over and over again. And we'll understand these visual cues and audio cues and see things in shows that uh, people that see it the first time wouldn't necessarily catch on to. Uh, Just an example I thought of. uh, Imagine kind of like a desert scene, a small town, and you see a tumbleweed roll by with like a setup scene. Well, as soon as you see that, you know, well, this is a barren place, almost like a ghost town. If there's people here, there's not many. And it's not that tumbleweeds are attracted to ghost towns and avoid <laughs> big cities or anything like that. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know them personally. I went to New York for two weeks and it was the worst two weeks for a tumbleweed ever. Uh, it, it, but it's a visual cue that has been built up over years. I don't know what movie did it the first time, but it doesn't even matter. Because many have done it over time. And we as viewers, when we see that, we immediately know what sort of setup this is. Uh, I was watching a show just the other day. I had something similar. It came to the end of the show. Guy was walking away from the city. Everything was wrapping up. And then suddenly the perspective changed. The music changed. And I immediately knew that something was about to happen. Something probably very bad to this guy. (laughs) Probably something like someone attacking him. And a few seconds later, that's exactly what did happen. And it was simply my knowledge of knowing why the shift in camera angle is these little things that don't actually mean anything by themselves, but they're triggers and they've been used many times over. And because I know them, I totally knew what was going to happen next. And it may sound like, Oh, everything's just a copycat and it's all familiarity and there's no surprises anymore. Well, that's, it's kind of the opposite of that. In fact, familiarity breeds enjoyment. I heard an interesting uh, statistic once that people are much more likely to like a piece of music that they hear for the first time, if they can predict the next note at least half the time. 
Now, it sounds kind of crazy that you can predict notes unless you know more about music and musical genres. When you're dealing with musical genres, it's, it's not that every melody is the same, but there's certain patterns and rhythms to them that you get to know over time. And it's not that you know every note or anything like that, but you'll know the, the flow of it and you have kind of an idea of where it's going. This is why if you're listening to a type of music that you don't normally listen to, it may not catch on with you very well. For me, like jazz, I respect jazz and it's interesting, but I've tried to listen to it. I just never got into it. And a lot of it is I just don't have that, that musical knowledge. I haven't listened to it enough to really know where it's going and be able to tell if it's good or not or anything like that. It's a language thing, the language of music. Film is very much the same way. When we're watching these movies, we're seeing a lot of familiarity. We see the stuff we understand, and and part of that just kind of latches into that. It's, it's like we know it and we like it sort of thing. This is where it gets a little strange when you're watching anime because when it comes to Eastern films, this is true with different types of foreign films depending on what they're built on, but the Japanese has had a long history of not only theater but then their own samurai dramas, and, of course, animation. They have their own film language that they're built on, which, in a lot of ways, is different than our own. So when you're watching this stuff for the first time, a lot of it seems off or different or foreign, and it can be uh, as subtle as just the use of camera angles or the timing of scenes, or it could be just the way that scenes play out seem just bizarre and weird when they aren't necessarily weird to... Uh, an Asian viewer's eyes because that's something I've seen many times before. Uh, I thought of an interesting analogy. Imagine going back to the Western motif, a couple of gunslingers. They want to kill each other. They got their guns at their sides, stand there staring at each other, just waiting for the other person to draw. And suddenly in a flash, they pull out their guns. One of them dies. Well, if you think about it, it's probably not a good tactical decision to wait for the other person to draw first if you want to kill each other. It's hard to imagine why you would want to do that. But we've seen it so many times, we don't even question it. We don't think about that. That's just how a gunfight works. Now, you see in anime or samurai dramas, you'll see the, the sword slash. Uh, after, usually after they fight for a while, a couple swordsmen beat the crap out of each other. Then from a little distance away, they'll have their swords at their side, and they'll rush right at and past each other with one slash of the sword. And then they'll stand there for a while, put their swords away, with their backs to each other, and a few seconds later, one of them will fall to the ground. And when you first see that, you're like, wait, why is he just standing there like that? Even if you know you slashed the guy, then you should like at least look at him and be aware that he's going to attack you or something, right? Just have some. And how could that happen and only one person get hit in the first place? That's just bizarre. So when you first see something like that, it, it just throws you off. But I've seen it a thousand times. And to me, it's just like, well, yeah, that's how you can tell which one is a slightly better swordsman. Because they do that move and one of them stands up, one does not. Why does this really matter with anime? Well, it comes down to... Uh, when you're trying to recommend stuff to other people, it gets uh, more difficult than you might think. Something that I, was, I mentioned a while back when Toonami got Gurren Lagan, I mentioned that I, I loved it, but I could not recommend it. And I promised I would explain why. And here it is. I have recommended that show to other people. I love the heck out of it. I gave it to others like, man, you got to see this. This is awesome. And they come back with, meh. People that watch a lot of anime I give it to, they love it or maybe hate it. Either way, it makes sense to me. But having just a blasé reaction just made no sense to me at all. How could you possibly have a blasé reaction to that show? Have you not been in this room before? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was at a seminar in anime where the speaker was talking about the language of film and talked how she tried to watch Gurren Lagann 
but just gave up because she didn't understand it. She didn't get the language of it. And suddenly it started to make sense to me, uh, these people's different reaction to it. That show is, it's a huge celebration and exaggeration of the giant robot shows of the past, as well as mixing in classic space opera stuff from the 80s and a few other concepts from newer stuff, all mixed together in its own unique, totally over-the-top and really interesting way. To me, it was kind of the culmination of my love of giant robot shows from Voltron to Fooly Cooly, as well as space opera. To me, it was like everything I had ever seen pulled together and exaggerated and put out in a fantastic, interesting way. But to someone else who doesn't have that background, they literally watched a different show than I did. So now it makes sense to me. So it's... I have backed off a little bit trying to recommend things. Like I got to think about what is what is it I'm seeing in the show versus what is it someone who doesn't know anime very much is going to see in the show. Now, I, I wanted to talk in great detail about a fascinating uh, example, High School of the Dead, uh, a classic All Us Geeks. Oh, we got almost two months without that. <laughs> but I'm talking too long as it is, so maybe I'll just uh, write something up and have Jeff post it on All Us Geeks' site somewhere. Ooh. A guest article from Anime Don. What? I think I offered that to you a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, well, this time I actually have something worth talking about. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fascinating case study. Well, I think I can speak for Jordan in this one. We will always post anything about high school. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to supply pictures. Damn Skippy. <laughs> Not hard to come by. <laughs> Legally. Just depends on if you want the NS... FW version or not. <laughs> Game review! Yep. <laughs> Sponsored by Grey Gnome Games, one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, I chose who was uh, who was the sponsor for each segment randomly. So it's lucky, lucky for us we're not actually reviewing a Grey Gnome Games game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was random. It was random. No one picked me. Oh. Huh? <laughs> no. No, it, it was it was randomly done. And some people didn't get picked this this episode, so we'll I'm keeping track of who I picked and where, so uh we'll make sure everybody gets in. All right, so we are looking at Tokaido from Fun Forge. All right. <laughs> Next episode. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's good. We're done. All right, so Jordan is going to take us through. Uh, this will be the first time we're doing this. I, I'm trying to tighten up the, the previous episode's review a little bit, but based off of survey feedback, we are going to um, shorten our review a bit. And basically what we're not going to try to do is really teach you the game uh, as we've kind of done in the past. We'll kind of go over the high-level stuff at the beginning. Jordan's going to tell us like what the game's about, uh, what the win condition is, that kind of stuff. And then we will still go through what we think of each section that we normally talk about. So we'll still spend some time there. We just won't be spending as much time telling you every step of the way to learn the game. <laughs> so go ahead, sir. Takedo is a board game for two to five players who want to take a relaxing vacation traveling from Edo to Tokyo in ancient Japan. It has a nice little fold-out board that has stops along the board, and it is essentially uh, a very picturesque game of leapfrog. In turn order, starting with the player farthest back, 
Looks like it's not turn order. People are going to take their turns just leapfrogging to their next position where they want to do, where they think it'll be most beneficial for them to go. Uh, and eventually everybody's going to get across the board to the last in. And at that point, there's some final score tallying. Achievements may have been made. There's a score tracker. And then as with most games, and then there's extra bonuses and achievements and most this, most that. And you'll get your final tally. And uh, at the end of it, the person with most points wins. They've had the best vacation in Japan. Did you say Edo to Tokyo? Yes. Edo was the old name of Tokyo. Ah, Kyoto. Yes. Good catch. (laughs) Edo to Kyoto. (laughs) Ah, so Edo to the old capital. Got it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The old path that many people walked is uh, what you're you're taking on this in this game. Trying to have the the best vacation by no no this whatever. is the game where they just go around the yeah. block. <laughs> they, they, I haven't even left home. They just make a lot of left turns. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah, Japanese NASCAR, and it's it's you know again the the victory points, but whoever has the best vacation, however you decide to have that vacation, because there are multiple ways to do that. We'll get into that a little bit when we start talking. But first, uh, of course, we usually start with components. So uh, the components for this game, sir. As mentioned, there's a very nice fold-out map. It's a very pretty game. The cards, it comes with a crap ton of cardboard for all the encounters you're going to have for the players. And the book itself is all also very pretty. So the components are just cardboard. A lot, of, a lot of cardboard. And some wood for your for your meeples. And I think it's very well done. The map is very minimalist. subtle. Minimalist, yeah. yes. Uh, there's mostly white tones and light blue tones with just dashes of color for your stops. And then the card backs are also very colorful. And then the the front of the cards and your player card and everything like that, it's, it's keeps that same kind of light white, light blue aesthetic. So everything is is very pretty to look at. Uh, but it's also very solid. The cardboard is good on the cards and the board. The meeples are nothing special, but they're serviceable. So componentry, yeah, I think it's very nice to look at and everything serves its purpose. Yeah, I think they've done a really good job with the look fitting the feel and the theme of the game, where if you saw potentially the same thing in another style game, you might not like it as much. Uh, but the fact that they went the minimalist route and that is very all soothing tones and stuff like that because you're taking this nice leisurely vacation walk. It all works really well and they've done a really good job with it as far as the art is concerned. And like you said, it, it all the art, I mean, it, it basically the components to me in this game all kind of come back to the art mm-hmm. uh, because there, there's nothing like, like you said, outrageous here. There's no, you know, there's there's no like massive first player token that has serves no other purpose or you know anything like that. It's it, but it all functions and and does really well. It takes up it even takes up probably a minimal amount of space for what it needs. I mean, you know, it's not some grandiose board. Uh, it's a it's a slimmer, smaller board for your path. Your cards are separated out, so they take up a little bit of space. But again, it's not like they made this huge giant board and you put all the cards on it in certain spots or any of that kind of stuff. They they kind of stayed minimal all the way through, and it works really well. I, I think they've done an amazing job with it. I, I liked it a lot. It's got a nice classic Japanese aesthetic to it just yes. overall, but it's not overly done. It's not like it's trying to be like it looks like it came from that era, right? but it's it's reminiscent of it. Mm-hmm. It reminds me very much of what you think of as the traditional kind of Japanese watercolor. Yeah, it's reminiscent of that. Yeah. 
All right. So mechanics. What do you think of the mechanics overall for this one? And we should probably talk about what a few of them are, I guess. Uh, well, like I said in the intro part, it is essentially a game of leapfrog. Mm-hmm. But they expand on that by giving you different ways to pass your vacation through Japan. So the last player, the person farthest down the path will always be going next, leaping over X number of people. And that's the basic movement. And then at each location, and there's temples, there are farms. Apparently people want to go to the work on the farm for their vacation. <laughs> Hot springs. Um, you can go shopping. Yeah. You can go to the spa. There's all sorts of spots along the path. And they repeat in each section. Uh, and the last section, the last stop in each section is the inn. And the last thing you do at each section is have a meal. And this all works out very well because in a three-player game, only one person can be on uh, a spot. In a four- or five-player game, there's a secondary spot. So For some. For some. Yeah. So it's rarely a choice of... It's not really a cutthroat game. You're never really knocking, locking someone out. It's not designed to be that. But you pick how many squares you're going to leap... And you go and do whatever it is. If you're at the hot springs, you pick your hot spring card to see how relaxed you are that day and you get that many points. If you go to the temple, you uh, donate. And at the end of the game, the person that's donated the most gets a bonus. Uh, so at each spot, it's just draw a card. There's no, the biggest piece of analysis you're doing on your turn is where you're going to go. And you decide pretty quickly, basically in the first set of path, at three or four or five players, what you're going to do because things are going to be locked out, but it's not, it's not a douchey kind of cutthroat lockout. It's just there are a limited number of choices in each piece of path. So you jump, you do it says on the card. And if you're still the farthest back, you go again until you're not the farthest back. It's a very, it's an enjoyable game of leapfrog. It also has some set collection in it because mm-hmm. some of the, the victory conditions are the ways you can get points not victory condition, but victory points that you can earn are based off of sets you collect along your journey. So again, that's one of the things like Jordan was talking about where you kind of early on maybe start making some decisions about what you're going to collect and what you're not going to collect or attempt to collect. And that said that it's not a very cutthroaty game, but there are times that you might go, I really don't want Jordan to complete a set here and that spot's open. So, and and only one other person, one person can be there. So I'm going to go there. But then you kind of also weigh some of that by if I go to that spot, how many spots am I leaping over and leaving open behind me? You know, so those kind of things. And then the other, other little mechanic that's in it that we didn't really touch on is also that it's kind of variable player power. Everybody yes. has a, you, you get a, a person that's representing you on the journey and they all have different abilities. And a lot of those abilities affect how uh, they're either better in certain things for victory points, stuff like that. So it, it, you might even buy your, your player power basically might say, oh, well, I'm really good at painting. So I'm going to try to get all the paintings right away, you know, that kind of thing. But you're right. It's it, at best, it's just the lightest touch of cutthroat of take that Mm -hmm. at best, but it's a very simple game to kind of, I mean, it doesn't take long to understand what you're doing and each section of the path is pretty much the same. I mean, an in is an in on one section versus the next section and stuff like that. It's not like suddenly nothing changes. It's it's not a greater 
in or there's not an Uber in, at the, you know, that kind of thing. It's a very good gateway game. It really is. Yes. I mean, this is such a, a, a straightforward and, you know, some icons and stuff that you got to get used to. And that's the biggest reason you'll ever pull the book, which we'll get to in a second. But it's nothing like mind melting no, by any means. You haven't played Takedo? I have I'm not. Assuming? Okay. Just, I, I know you've been checking it out quite a bit, so I figured as much, but you, you chimed in with the art, but I know you're looking at the back. So. All right, so rules. You took the lead on teaching this one because you had played it before I did and, mm-hmm. and played it. Well, the rule times. book itself, the entire book is eight pages, and that includes page one being the cover. The rule book itself, actual things that you're going to need to know, is five of those pages, four and a half. Everything is broken down very well. They have excellent sidebars. It explains each stop you're going to make. It gives you visuals for each stop, the hot spring, the temple, your encounters, the farm, whatever. And then it also goes into great detail about what you're going to do at the inn. And then the last couple pages are glossary. It goes over every achievement and every traveler that you might play and gives you a description of what they do. Because the travelers, you know, to save on time just have the icons and what they do. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the game, the icons are not necessarily going to be clear. But they do a very good job at explaining all the travelers, all the achievements, and all the panorama achievements, and then what you do with at the inns and at the temples. So the it's, like I said, five pages of rules, or four pages of rules, I should say, four and a half, and two pages of glossary, and it's very tight. Until you, you really, you're really going to need to replay this a lot to memorize all the travelers. But just for the travelers, I think this is really the only time you'll need to open the book after one playthrough. The rules are very simple. It's leapfrog, draw your card, do what you do, and continue if you're, if you're not the, if you're still the last person. Uh, so the rule book is simple and to the point, And I think you didn't have many problems with it. No, I, I thought it was. The rule book, you know, I, I got to look through the rule book. And like you said, the biggest time was to look up icons or travelers uh, to see what they do. And it is very, I mean, it's it's very evident where the stuff is. It's a small rule book, like you said. So it's not that hard to find, but it's also, even in small rule books, sometimes depending on the layout, something can get missed or you're not going to see a certain section or something like that. This, it's it's all laid out really well. It's a small rule book. It's a tight rule book, like you said. The sections make sense where they are. You can look up things quickly. So, yeah, I thought it was a great rule book. So moving into that, you kind of led into it, the teachability aspect of it. Jordan taught it to, to me, and we sat down. And, uh, again, it's, it's such a, it is a very nice gateway game and a, and a light game for what it does uh, with some great kind of decisions to make along the way. But teaching it was putting it on the table, pretty much going, explaining what each spot was. You kind of land on the spot, figured it out. Now, you might need most of that first play just to kind of, like what I did, I think our first game was just like, well, I'm just going to hit as many different spots as I can to kind of see how they work. So I wasn't really doing any form of strategy, more than trying to see what all the spots do and, and what I'm trying to do in the game. But basic learning yeah, you okay? I'm I'm the farthest back. Okay, I can move. All right, I, I pick a spot to move to. Got to stop at the end. Okay, I get that. You know, it's there's nothing, nothing uh too complicated there to try to learn. So replayability. What do you think about replayability? I think there's a lot of replayability here because it serves a lot of functions. Like we mentioned, it's a good intro game. It's a good uh, starter game. It's sufficiently fast. It says 45 minutes, but if everybody's experienced, it will go quicker. 
uh, even at max. It's a good filler game if you're waiting for third, fourth person to, to show up for something, you know, or you just want to start with something light or end with something light. It's a good filler game. It's a good teaching game and it, it's a good all ages game. This is a game that is heavy on its theme because it looks like what you're doing, but at the same time, it's appropriate to all ages because the math is simple. The concepts are very basic and you're not doing anything gratuitously sexual or gratuitously violent or anything like that. It's a good all ages family game. I would agree with you pretty much across the board. I would say if it wasn't for the variable player powers, some of the replayability would kind of slough off. That I mean, definitely adds to it. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I mean, it's just it's the same board every time. But where it could change, and and it, it, one, it could change by the people you're playing with and how they decide to play. But also, player count is going to be what spots are be open to you every time you play. Mm-hmm. So. It could change a little bit there, but I think the variable player powers is really what kicks it into being a decent replayable game. All right, so you kind of touched on it, but theme. What do you think of the theme for this one? I really like it. It's a pretty game that kind of everything points to being on that vacation, traveling that road between the two cities. We talked about how it looks like what you'd expect from the era in the artwork. It's pretty. It's pretty in giving you a view of Japan at that time, doing this one specific thing, taking this one journey. I think it's thematically strong for what it does, but at the same time, it's not overwhelming and it's not, it doesn't scream out, like the box does not scream out at you, this is a a game where you're on vacation. So, you know, the box itself is a little ambiguous, but once you get in there and once you see the travelers, once you, you know, you see the art for the hot springs, the panoramas, everything is very thematic to what the game is. I actually really enjoy this one. I wasn't 100% sure, I guess, going in necessarily, but I think the theme overall, it they kept with the minimalist theme throughout, and it is very reminiscent of that relaxing trip that you're taking. I mean, there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing overcomplicated that you're really doing each turn. The biggest thing might be like when you go to spend money, uh, what are you going to spend your money on? But I mean, again, it's just, that's not dinner. <laughs> yeah, there are times <laughs> and you know, there are certain set points that, you know, you're going like you said, get to the end. You got to stop, got to have a meal uh, if you can afford it, <laughs> but there's nothing overly complicated. There's nothing overly cutthroat. Like you said, it, it's just this nice soothing game. And it's once you get into it, it is that universal theme is that universal appeal theme it's it can appeal to anybody because it is fairly calm and subdued like you said it's it's not overly anything else it it is what it is and it's very relaxing and and let's take this journey together and uh see who gets the most points at the end of the game it does a very good job of what it's trying to do and it marries well with the art and everything else to bring the theme into the game so i i agree with you it's it's well done there all right, so fun factor slash overall. If I was going to give this a number right now, like somewhere between a six and a seven, it is an enjoyable game. It is not a high octane game. If you're an alpha player, an alpha gamer, and that's all you like to do, this is definitely not the game for you because this is very low key and it is not at all confrontational and there's not enough number crunching to, if that's your thing, that you're going to get that out of this. This is definitely a casual game, but at the same time, 
I like casual games. So if you like casual games, this is a very good game. It is technically sound. It is visually quite pretty. And it is fast enough that you can knock a couple out in one night if you want to, or you can use it and move on to something a little bit more meaty. So fun factor for me, yeah, somewhere between a six and a seven. It's enjoyable. It's something that I don't want to play every week, but definitely... You know, if it hits the table once a month, I would not complain. And if somebody wants to ask for it to hit the table, again, I would not complain. I can agree with that assessment. I mean, it's, it's definitely a very good gateway casual game. Uh, so something that you can easily potentially pull casual to even non-gamers if they're at least open to some gaming or, you know, they, they put up with you putting a game on the table. Uh, it's definitely not a Is hard there pizza. Yeah. Okay, we can do yeah, it. Okay. We can do it. <laughs> Are you going to let me eat the pizza while I play? No. no. Oh, no. no. Okay. I, Pizza's I'll, in another room. I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> but it is it is that nice, like you said, low key. So I, I would say you're right. I mean, if you're a hardcore alpha gamer all the way and, and everything's got to be cutthroat, which I you know some people think that applies to Jordan and I, but it doesn't always have to. And trust us, we, we tried <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> But this may not appeal to you. The other thing I would say is if if it's something that you're thinking about doing two-player and you're one of those people that do not like dummy-style players, uh, you may not want to look at this one either because it does, at a two-player version, have the dummy player in there that really doesn't affect things too badly, I don't think. It, at two players is where the game is at its most cutthroat. Because I, I agree. Then you're that. actually using the dummy to... Yep. Screw screw the person across the table. Yep. And, that, and that's where we got our cut for, throat <laughs> fix in. <laughs> but if you're not a fan of dummy players, in order to get your two-play style in, uh, you may want to pass on this one as well. But again, everything else that Jordan said is, is correct. I mean, it's, it's technically sound. It's a great game. The way it was put together, the way it's laid out, the, everything that they went for in it, it's a solid game. And yeah, it's not a... Not necessarily a main game, not something I want to play either week, every week either, but it's it's definitely a game that if somebody walks over to the shelf, grabs it, it's like, yeah, let's do it. So you want to play now, Don? I'm interested. <laughs> and we have the expansion. Someday maybe we'll look at that as well. <laughs> All right, and now Don's anime recommendation. Sponsored by Indie Game Alliance, one of our Patreon supporters. What do you got for us, Don? All right, I want to talk about one that's near and dear to my heart, Fruits Basket. Fruits Basket is oh, was originally a 23-volume manga by Nasuki Takia. Ran from 98 to 2006. It's one of the top-selling manga series in the world, including here in the U.S. It received an anime ad- adaptation in 2001 that was 26 episodes, directed by the brilliant Akitaro Daichi. Now, if, if you paid attention to the dates, you'll notice that the anime series ran during the middle of the run, so it does not cover the entire manga. It covers the first part and then uh, develops its own ending, which doesn't resolve everything, but it comes to its own climactic point. The series is about this young girl named Toru Honda. When you first meet her, she's living in a tent in the woods because uh, her parents are gone. Her mother died just a year before, I believe it was, and she had moved out of her grandfather's place because he is refurnishing his home if i remember correctly and she didn't want to say that oh uh, her friends are too busy to take her in so she just quietly lives in a tent until she's found by one of her classmates yuki soma and the soma family decides to take her in as sort of a live-in maid just to give her a place to stay toru honda is this wonderfully polite optimistic cheerful kind 
selfless girl, as you might see, because she decides to live in a tent instead of try to um, stay in her grandfather's place. And she's just this wonderful person that fits in very well as just a live-in maid, except for the Soma family has a problem. They have a curse on them. They are cursed with the Chinese Zodiac, as in 13 members of their family turn into animals of the Zodiac when they are touched by a member of the opposite sex, including the three boys that live in this particular house. Now, I said the 13 animals of the Chinese Zodiac, which is one too many if you know that, and it also includes the cat, which is part of some Zodiacs, I believe the Vietnamese one. There are legends in China and Japan dealing with how the cat got screwed over by the rat and got missed out on the whole Zodiac thing. Damn rats. Like they do. <laughs> well, the three boys that live in the house are the owner, Shigure, who's the dog, uh, Yuki, the attractive, mysterious boy in her class, who's the rat, and Kyo, the cat, the wild child. And, of course, the cat and the rat don't get along for at, at all. The show is mostly just her living in this house and dealing with these interesting fellows with this interesting curse which she finds out rather quickly and, of course, has to keep secret. It's somewhat like a reverse harem show, but not quite. A lot of people would call it a reverse harem, but uh, it's different in some ways. Now, the usual harem type show is your usual male lead, usually a very flat, milk toast character, followed by a bunch of, or surrounded by a bunch of improbably good-looking girls who usually want to uh, meet up with them romantically. Those shows are normally about the lead helping out the other girls in some way. Uh, like Clannad, as I talked about once before, is very much about the, the lead as he helps the, the girls through their own problems. Uh, reverse harems are the opposite in multiple ways. One being the, the genders are switched, but it's also the lead character in reverse harems is very different. They're usually a very strong, independent character. And she's usually out after some goal of her own that's completely independent of any sort of romance. And the way those shows are usually built, while she does help them, you, the boys usually... It's mostly about the boys helping her achieve that goal in some way. Not that she needs their help necessarily, but they being the, the nice, wonderful people that they are, help her out. Uh, that's where it's not quite the same with Fruits Basket, where Toru is a strong character in her own unique way. It's really about her helping the Soma family and how she helps them to deal with the curse over time. And it's more in the manga than it is in the, the anime series. What about the show is good? Well, I couldn't figure it out for quite a while. I knew I loved it. I wasn't entirely sure why. I rewatched it over and over and over again because I really wanted to. But I mean, the art's nice, the, the comedy's funny, the, the drama's nice, but nothing really stood out to me. But when I thought about it a long time, I realized it's really all about the characters. Now, Toru herself is such a wonderful character that I quickly connected with and, and really enjoyed. But just all the characters in general are, are fun and interesting, but you don't even necessarily realize how much you like the characters. And that's where it was for me. Like, I was rewatching this thinking, I want, I love this, but I don't know why. And I think Jordan had somewhat of a similar experience when he got to the end of the show, when the drama really kicks in. And I believe you found yourself much more affected by that than you expected. Yeah, it really ramped up. The last half of the, I mean, last third of, just got really dark. <laughs> and really, it went from light drama and light comedy to some really dark, introspection for Toru and uh, Kyo especially yeah, yes Kyo. but it's how much you're affected is a surprising part mm-hmm. it's like you don't really realize how much you're invested in the characters until that stuff comes out yeah for me it was some of the earlier scenes where like Toru's remembering back to being at her uh, mother's hospital bedside crying at her hospital's bedside I'm, I found those just simple moments very affecting just seeing this wonderful character having I, I always knew that she went through all these things but actually just seeing it on a screen just would shake me up. 
And just the comedy works as well, too, with if you like the characters, they can just do stuff and it's fun and it's funny to watch. And some of the episodes, just the things that they do with them are, are just great. When the, uh, like the Yuki fan club girls, when they go after the electric girl and go to her house, yep. which I was super excited about because I love the electric girl anyway. But then her little brother stole the show. <laughs> it was just awesome. So everything ends up working because the characters are so good. And a lot of that's got to do with the director who has done this in a number of shows that I've seen. I, I love his work. But of course, w- big props go to the original manga creator who created this this wonderful manga series, which it's a huge seller for a, a good reason. It's it's one that touched a lot of people. And it really, you could say it revolutionized manga here in the U.S. when it came out as it really brought in a lot of female readership, which is now a, a huge part of the whole industry. And it it's what brought up Tokyo Pop to, to fame when they originally came out. And they revolutionized the whole manga industry. And of course, it was the reason that they fell apart when the manga ended. So they didn't have anything else to go on. Uh, I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's so simple and fun, but it just works. Everything about it works wonderfully. You can find it on Funimation's site, Funimation.com. And uh, just about a year ago, they re-released uh, Anime Classics Edition on DVD for, I think, retail $50 for the whole series. You can probably find it for 35 or so online. So a great deal on it. It's time for the Brick Breakdown, where we're breaking down what's building up in the LEGO universe. Hello, fellow blockheads. I'm Will. And I'm Sarah. And we're here to give you the Brick Breakdown. Now, last time uh, we talked about Lego ideas. Yes, we did. And this time we're going to talk about it again. Now, why, you might ask, would we do such a thing? Because it's awesome, because everything is... Oh, sorry, okay. I can't do that. Okay, no, no, that's that's going to get us sued. No, the reason why we want to talk about LEGO Ideas in such a short time frame is because out of all the various uh, lines and brands that LEGO does, LEGO Ideas is proving to be the most uh, dynamically changing. Yes, and very innovative in what is coming out from the line. Yeah, so it started out as LEGO Kuso in Japan, test pilot, got launched to the world, a little while later, got changed to Lego Ideas, and then just recently, it has more criteria and, and rules. Like, now a project needs to get 10,000 votes in one year's time. Yeah, so now there's a time limit. If you do not get 10,000 votes within a year, your project is just stopped. You can always resubmit, but there's a, a shorter time frame, whereas before, <laughs> a project could get 10,000 votes, it could take three or four years, and then it would still go through. But Yeah, there there was like the Oriental um, Mm -hmm. architecture series that someone had put up there, and it had been on for about three years. And like right at the end, they put this new time limit, so they reset everyone's clock, which was nice. But then when it finally reached 10,000, I think that was like one of the elements Lego looked at and goes, it took three years. I'm not sure this is what we want to go with. Even though it was, it was an awesome looking project. Oh, definitely. So since last time, uh, we had seen Wally, uh, up as part of one of the reviews that we were kind of excited about thinking that it might get, uh, through. What else did we see? Was, uh, was Doctor Who on the? Yeah, I believe Doctor Who was some of them. Uh, we heard about the Big Bang Theory. Mm Uh, heard about Lego Birds, things like that. Yes. Okay. Well, since then, Lego Birds has been accepted. And it's the same designer who did uh, this uh, science. What was the science thing called? Science Discovery with the female scientist. Yes, it has a female scientist in it. 
Do you remember what it was called? <laughs> no, I don't. It was it was a thing with a thing. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> it was very popular, I will say that. Had three scientists, it had a paleontologist, a uh, astronomer, and one other I can't remember. Uh yeah, paleontologist, astronomer, and uh just a chemist? Yes, a chemist. It was a chemist. Yes. <clears throat> and the reason why I bring that up is because that's the same designer that did Lego Birds and she did a follow-up to that first Sediment. The Research Institute. That's, that's what, it was what it's called. called. Yes. A follow-up to the Research Institute with three more female scientists. Mm-hmm. And that project's doing very well. I don't think it's It gone. hit 10,000. It did hit 10,000. Yes. So it'll be in one of the future uh, reviews. Yeah, and we know that the Big Bang Theory is official. There's no timeline set up for its release in 2015 yet. But it will be coming out in 2015. Yes. Yeah. Also, just recently, we heard about two more projects that have said... We're going green lighting them. We're going forward. And what are these? The, that would be the Wally. Everybody was really, really hoping that that would become a reality, and it is. And just for those, if you do remember or don't remember, or you're new to this, the Wally model was actually designed by one of the animators of the movie. So in depth, you know, uh, experience and sounds like he has behind the scenes pool. Yes. <laughs> and then they were evaluating two of the Doctor Who sets and they chose the one w- that was called Doctor Who and Companions. Um, and so again, we don't know when those will be out. We don't even know if they'll be out in 2015, but they were just recently approved. Yes. So uh, since we just basically said which ones are approved, which ones were rejected? Okay, so from the first review of 2014, they did not approve the modular Apple Store or the Back to the Future Jules Verne train, which I have to say I'm really disappointed about the train because I was really hoping they would do that. Yeah, the Back to the Future card did come out, and I only think it was okay. There was yeah. some structural weak points that I, I felt were kind of took away from it uh, mm-hmm. the design it wasn't as sleek as i was hoping it would be and also consequently it it kind of looked a little blocky yes uh the original fan version was actually better looking i have no idea about the sound quality you know how it was designed but it looked better yes but saying that i'm also not surprised because so far i don't think we've seen a project from lego kuso or ideas get over fifty dollars fifty dollars yes and so far it seems like every single one of them has been just at or below so like the birds is Mm 44.99 um and i I think hayabusa was 50 i think it was 50 so so far there seems to be lego is putting a ceiling on the expensiveness, which of course then means the size. And a lot of fans want really big sets. So these really big projects that are huge get to 10,000 votes, but then Lego squashes it. I have a feeling, in my opinion, it's because they don't believe a set would sell for more than 50. Right. Speaking of big sets. Yes. That was pretty much the explanation for why most of the recent submissions got rejected. So for the second review, there was Assault on Wayne Manor, which was just the huge Wayne Manor with a whole bunch of minifigures. I think it was like three stories. So that one was big, and that one didn't get accepted. General Grievous's flagship, The Invisible Hand, again, a giant model, which would fit in with their UCS line, but again, just really large. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, the UCS line is the Ultimate Collector Series, and typically, 
a small Ultimate Collector Series set starts around $200. Right. Um, and then there was the X-Men X-Mansion, again, just like the Wayne Manor, and it is actually designed by the same person, just a big, huge three-story mansion with all the minifigures. I mean, a fan's dream come true, but they're just not going to do it. And then uh, Lego lightsabers, it was actually Darth Vader's and Luke Skywalker's is a model of each of their lightsabers. I personally didn't find it that interesting, but, I, you know, I could see some fans liking it. Well, yeah, considering a lot of adults out there... If you ask them what they're fans of, they typically say Star Wars. Yeah. And then, so there is one more Star Wars. There's the UCS All-Terrain Armored Transport. Otherwise, I think most people know it as the AT-AT. Yes. About 6,000 pieces, if I recall. Yes. It was huge. So again, we think LEGO didn't go with it because of that cost. Mm -hmm. Um, One that I was really disappointed, but not surprised that didn't get approved, was the Ghostbusters headquarters. They did the Ghostbusters car but kind of like the back to the future car the delorean it didn't sell very well because it wasn't well it was made better i think the ghostbusters car yes. than the delorean but it didn't sell well it, i mean people like the minifigures it was another 50 dollars set right and that was a lot to swallow <laughs> 50 bucks for four minifigures and a car and everybody was really hoping for the headquarters and that did not happen yeah because that the one that actually did get released the car did have the firehouse? Yeah, so the original project included yes. both, but Lego decided to just go with the car, and they took out the headquarters. And last, the Hubble Space Telescope was not <laughs> approved. I don't really know why, other than I, I guess they think they're done with space stuff for now, or? I That might be based on how the Hayabusa sold? Yeah, but the Hayabusa wasn't really very made available anywhere outside of Japan. Well, no, it actually got a secondary release in the U.S. Yes, but it was very small. Very small. It was very small. So, what's up next, and will be probably announced, uh, I think they said spring or summer of 2015, they are going to be looking at nine projects, which is the largest qualifying period so far, which means there's also going to be a lot of disappointment, because they've typically not picked more than one or two of a review, so it's yeah, and unfortunate. If they, and if they picked more, it was usually because one kind of got held over. Yeah. They'll usually hold it over for more uh, review and analysis. For the ones that require licensing, I wouldn't be surprised if it's because they're trying to work on getting the license. Like the Doctor Who ones were held over probably because they were in talks to see if they could get the license. Yeah. And they finally decided on it or right. recently. So. Right. So the first one is just not going to happen. And it's the Avengers Helicarrier because it's already happening. Yes, uh, recently, uh, Lego has announced it's basically a giant model, $350, 2,800 pieces mm-hmm. of the Avengers Helicarrier, and it has little miniature. Everything's micro scale. Er- yeah, everything's micro scale. And if I recall, this particular project was something more like 28,000 pieces. Yes. So if we take 350 times about 10, Mm-hmm. You kind of get the idea that if they made the set, it'd be $3,500. Yes, it would be extremely expensive for the model that was approved. Yeah, and that would be hard to swallow. Yes. I know I know there are fans out there that would spend thousands of dollars because it, it happens now. Yes, but it needs to be profitable to Lego. It can't just be a couple of people worldwide. <laughs> hey, but uh, your production run is... Well, Five sets? I guess. So the other ones they're going to be reviewing is the Labyrinth Marble Maze, which was actually one of the original Lego Kuso projects that was up. So it's nice to see that one finally 
getting through. There's the F78 Hornet, which is from the game Star Citizen. I'm afraid to say I'm not familiar, but it doesn't, it's a, it's a very reasonably sized plane. So if there's enough people who enjoy that game, then that's possible to be made. Yes, because, uh, Minecraft, for example, it got on there. It got voted like in three days. Yeah. And since it's a initial project, it has spawned other sets in the same vein, and then a whole minifigure line. Right, there's a minifigure series that came out, minifigure size series, and there'll be another wave later this year. All right, then, which I would love to see, but I know is not realistic, it's the Goonies 30th anniversary of the (coughs) Inferno, which is the pirate ship. One-eyed wheelie. Yes, but it's huge. So again, it's oversized. A collector's dream. But it's a pirate ship. Yeah, but I really don't think that's going to happen. Then there's the Natural History Museum Creator Expert. And I think this would fit very well into the Modular series. But so far, the other projects that have been like the Modular... Like like the the Ghost Busters Fire Station, the the Apple Modular Store. As well as the Old West one from a year ago. They have not approved those. I'm not sure if it's because they don't want it to fit in with their line, I'm not sure. But that would be really nice well, to have. I believe part of the decision-making, and this is just all hearsay, is that the Western one was partly not chosen because the Lone Ranger series was coming out. Which was a terrible decision since the Lone Ranger sucked, and therefore... Oh, th- that was mainly because of the movie. Well, the movie sucked, and therefore the sets didn't sell. The sets were awesome. For I, fans. I reviewed them all... They were spectacular. So if you have a chance to try and building any of the Lone Ranger, forget the Lone Ranger and just enjoy Western. That's true. All right. Lord of the Rings set Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith? Yes. Big Castle. Big Castle. That also isn't going to happen regardless of my pronunciation, but it does look awesome. Jurassic Park, which again, probably won't happen because they're already planned Jurassic World sets. Later this year. Mm -hmm. There's a piano, which is a nice little micro scale piano. Looks really cute. I could see that going. Yes. And then the last one won't happen, but it's awesome, is the Flying Dutchman. Again, a giant, huge pirate ship. And this is serious Flying Dutchman. This is not the SpongeBob SquarePants Flying Dutchman. This is not the Pirates of the Caribbean Flying Dutchman. This is actually historical Flying Mm -hmm. Dutchman. Yeah, which would be awesome and cool, but really is probably not going to happen. Yes. So ultimately, that's what's coming up in LEGO Ideas. If you're interested in creating your own project, just know that it's going to take a year. Also know that Lego's going to restrict you about yeah. $50 and under is what they're looking for. And if you find, you know, really great projects, feel free to back them. Yes. And if you're looking for it, you'll just need to go to ideas.lego.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So you can find me on the Brick Blogger writing the Brick Breakdown segments. And you can find me on Twitter at Eurogamergirl. So until next time. I'm Will. I'm Sarah. And hit the bricks. Yeah. What we're watching. Sponsored by Torin, one of our Patreon supporters. Thanks, Torin. All right, who wants to go first this time? Don. Don. Sure. You have been <laughs> selected. Uh, watched Agent Carter. It was what? all right. You, a non-anime thing? I opened with a couple of those, and then I'll move on. (laughs) I just warm up the room. (laughs) I enjoyed it while I watched it. Looking back, uh, it was okay. 
I think it could have been tightened up a bit. Which is kind of sad to say for something that's only eight episodes long. Yeah, well, I'm used to watching <laughs> stuff much shorter. So, <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has started back up. It's even darker than it was before. Hopefully, it'll continue to be at least decent. Yeah, let us know about that once a quarter, will you? Yeah. I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really going heavy into the Inhuman route now. Yeah, I've heard that. It'll be interesting to see where they go with that. I have been for a while now watching Mazinger Z, the very old, I think, late 60s giant robot show. It was brought over as Transor Z back when I was a little kid. Uh, very old school Godinagi uh, work. That's exactly what it is. It's old school. But, uh, I'm like three quarters of the way through that. I watched the 65 episode series Monsuno, three seasons. It's an anime that was created by an American toy company to sell toys. In the show, a scientist discovers this new crazy form of energy, which he then packages into little capsules and combines it with elements and animal DNA to make them into giant monsters that they can control because apparently he has the mind of a 10-year-old. Glad you went down the, the DNA and monster path because for a while there you were just pretty much describing Breaking Bad at the start. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no. Puts it in a pill. And <laughs> it's more like Pokemon, <laughs> except for it's an action adventure show instead of the more sports type that they usually do with these. The show itself wasn't terrible in general, except for the characters. I, I don't really like the term. <laughs> I mean, it didn't suck at all, except for having to watch the people talk. That's basically <laughs> it. I, I don't usually like to use the term flat because I think it's overused and overly negative. But I'll call them flat, and I mean that in the most negative way. They were really dull and boring. So it's just kind of like, yeah, 65 episodes of getting through that. So it's kind of like reading the Game of Thrones. <laughs> so it's kind of like watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> <laughs> they brought on better characters in the second season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're pulling out all the guest star stops. They are the love boat of the Marvel Universe right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, besides the guest stars, the cast that they brought in for the second season was more interesting than they had ever had. Anyway, the love helicarrier <laughs> soon will be taking another crap. A release by Funimation. Finally, they had some problems with the source materials. They finally got out the series Bento. Uh, Bento in Japan is a lunchbox. This is a show about the violent and brutal world of street fighting lunch over boxes. lunchboxes. Half price lunchboxes. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, uh, the pre-made lunches at the local grocery stores would get knocked down to half price to sell out at the end of the day. And that would be the time. That would be the, the indicator that's time to throw down. Warriors, come <laughs> out and play. This has rules. They're very serious about it. And it's how they test their skills. It's kind of a crazy concept, but it takes it sort of seriously. When it heard worse. Story. Yeah, I've heard worse. <laughs> right. Uh, it was great, it. except for having to listen to the people talk. <laughs> No, the characters are a whole lot better than this one. They were, uh, the lead character is kind of fun, totally thrown off and knocked out the first time. And then, oh, it kind of gets into it, gets into the fighting of it. But then they kind of get into like gang area politics and stuff going on. It was uh, enjoyable, empty calories, though maybe that fits. <laughs> Not especially memorable, but I enjoyed watching it. Watching on Viewster.com. I had never seen Viewster before. It's out of uh, Europe, apparently. Streaming service that they're just building up. They have a few anime series. This is the only one they've I've seen that they have exclusively. Welcome to Irabu's Office. Now, I've never been on an acid trip myself, but I suspect <laughs> it's very similar. Uh, Irabu, Dr. Irabu is a... Wink, psych- wink. 
I've never done that. Where's my blotter? Irab was a psychiatrist, and each episode is about one particular patient. Like the first one's about a trapeze artist who can't sleep. But it's not really necessarily about them getting better. It's just it's hard to say what it's really about. Like I said, very much acid trippy. Like the, the, the character Irabu himself, I don't actually know what he looks like because they have at least three, three character designs that they switch between for him <laughs> in the same scene. It's a very strange show. But at the very least, I was it never bored me. I was always paying attention to it. Maybe it's the bright colors. Released by Sentai Filmworks. 12-episode series, Outbreak Company. It starts off with this young man who has been a shut-in for years. Total otaku, way into anime and manga. Trying to find a job. Uh, he finds a company that is excited about him, which drugs him. <laughs> he then wakes up in... Like you do. <laughs> <laughs> like what happens. <laughs> he wakes up in a totally different world. A fantasy world. Where he finds out that the Japanese government found a portal to another world. And they made contact with the local kingdom. And uh, they're starting to make agreements. And they brought this guy in to run a company to bring the otaku culture to this other world. It's sort of like a cultural exchange, which actually isn't as quite as bizarre as it sounds. Uh, a few years back, uh, the Japanese government... when the acid kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> a few years back, the Japanese government really didn't like anime. They more ignored it or just shunned it, anime manga culture. But then around 2006, I believe it was, a couple different government groups stood up and said that it's important both culturally and financially for Japan as a financial export. And they found out with a study that kids in other cultures, once they're exposed to anime and manga, they actually have a better view of Japan as a whole. So but I, then they put in the wrong search term, and there's all the hand <laughs> Yeah, that, then there's that. <laughs> and right? then it's all messed up again. So this otaku is suddenly in a different world, supposed to be bringing them otaku culture into a world where they don't even read, usually. But he's got his own half-elf maid, so... Hooray. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> it, it gets into some politics of the class system in that world and stuff like that, but it doesn't go too heavy. It mostly stays lightweight and kind of fun and, and simple. And I enjoyed it for what it was. It's just, that's, that's not a bad thing, just to be simple and fun. Not simple and fun, but, well, not simple, but fun. Koi Monogatari, the next piece in the Monogatari series to come out on Blu-ray. Monogatari series is one that, from the very beginning, has completely enthralled me. Everything about it. One of my favorite directors, Akiyuki Shinbu, favorite production company, Shaft. And this is Shinbu Unbound. He just goes all out with his eclectic style with these really simple but oddly complicated little stories of people involved with something like monsters. But they aren't necessarily really there. But it doesn't matter if they're there because it matters. Anyway, uh, it, it's a it's a... Fantastic, confusing show, and this latest piece was the culmination of one of the characters' storylines. And it was just, again, one just fantastic stuff, and I still got a couple more of the pieces of the story to watch yet, and I'm very excited to see those, too. A couple of other movies I watched lately, Little Witch Academia. I watched that in Crunchyroll. It's a 26-episode movie. It's a short animation about a little girl training to become a witch in a witch academy. It's just a silly, fun, kind of over-the-top little show where they release a dragon, she has to deal with it. It was a blast for 26 minutes. I I believe they're making a second one, and I'm looking forward to seeing that someday. Uh, the movie A Certain Magical Index, The Miracle of Endymion. I've raved before about the A Certain Something Something universe. I believe I talked about A Certain Scientific Railgun S last time, and love the heck out of that. I finally got to see the second season of Magical Index. Love that. And here's a movie, which takes place after that, 
I was really hoping it would be a continuation of the story where the, the second season ended up with on the verge of a war between the magic and science worlds. And I was hoping it'd go there, but it, it did a side story instead. But I liked what I got. They brought in a lot of the characters from this very expansive world and gave them their time to shine. I just had so much fun with it. And the art was fantastic. Oh, the city has never looked better. And finally, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, a movie done by Isao Takahara of Studio Ghibli. He's one of the kind of the legends from Japan, did The Grave of the Fireflies, the unforgettable film. Kaguya is a classic Japanese folktale, The Tale of the Bamboo Cutter, about a bamboo cutter who finds a tiny little girl living in in a piece of bamboo that he raises as his own. And she becomes a princess and then eventually is taken back to the moon in the end. Very unique look and art style to the show. It, it looks more like kind of charcoal drawing for the, for the outlines. I don't know how much work it took to, to continue that style and, and give it motion. But it was, it was like a, a charcoal drawing come to life throughout this, what, two and a half hour film. Gorgeous. And it, it's very slow in taking its time and telling its story in a way that I really appreciated. It hurried nothing. It was, it was just moving from one thing to the next. It's also fascinating in that the, the classic Kaguya is the classic Japanese beauty. And in today's world, what makes a female attractive is, is really different from them back then. Now it's cheerful and independent, where back then it was basically the opposite. So it was seeing what we see today as an attractive female, is this girl growing up, she's very cheerful and an interesting girl, that's being kind of forced into the role of the classic Japanese beauty. And her reactions to that. Uh, fascinating, beautiful film. I loved it. That's what I've been watching. The first ep of Powers aired today for free on PlayStation Network. Uh, so I checked that out. And it was really, really good. The dude that they've got playing Christian. Um, South African dude from District 13. And he just did the voice of Chappie. Oh, Copley. Yeah. Copley? Copley? Yeah. Anyways, he's playing Christian. And uh, the woman they've got playing Dina is pretty cool. And the dude that they've got doing well, actually, overall, I like pretty much everybody that they have cast as a no, no, no. Keep going individually. <laughs> nope, nope. Uh, really liked it. Kind of tempted to drop the money for the season. It's only twenty five bucks, but I just want to give Sony money. So prick. <laughs> <laughs> I will wait for the inevitable DVD release. That still gives them money. Not if I get it from the library. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Somebody gave them money. For Somebody gave them money, but not me. <laughs> I love your product, but screw you. <laughs> no, it was really good. I mean, obviously, none of the characters are going to look like what they were in the books. Because, I mean, Christian's like, big dude, and dude is not. But everything, this, this making him, making them the you know, the powers, police, everything is set up well. You see some superpower stuff. Uh, most of it's off in the distance. There's this big air combat for, for right at the beginning. He wakes up to that. And then, oh, like Johnny Royale, the teleporter, they do that really, really good. And they give you the full length and breadth of his powers and what he can really do. And, oh, Eddie Izzard's in it as the wolf. And I love Eddie Izzard. So it was great seeing him in this. Sadly, you got to see his butt. I wasn't keen on that. He's not a man that should be naked. He used to be pretty well built once, but can tell it's been 10 or 15 years since he's been that. Justified watching that. This is uh, an excellent season. They've had some of the best dialogue and some of the 
it's been a high dialogue, low action season, mm-hmm. and everybody's just getting all their parting shots. It's just everything is really great. They're having great lines. So the dialogue this season has been really excellent. And yeah, it's it's actually it's actually to the point where it's you're kind of sad that this is the last season. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the most recent app was really really good. Just they're bringing everything together. You can see that there is going to be the showdown between Boyd and, and, and Raylan. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be, well, like I said before, I think this is just going to end the way the shield did and nobody's <laughs> going to be happy. And I hope that's the way it works out. Cause I really like the end of the shield. Uh, walking dead continues. Uh-oh. It, I'm enjoying it, but <laughs> the, the snarky part of me wants to go. AMC has a choice. Now they can either keep three black people or two gay people, but I don't know if by their own rules of having to kill off the quotas on a regular basis to keep cycling them, if they can do both. That's really snarky of me. But getting to Alexandria and, and starting this has been really good. I've really enjoyed uh, this second half of the season as it's come back. I started off very bleak and immediately went to paranoia. Rick has been really good. And the way last week's ep, because I haven't seen this week's yet, but the way last week's ep ended with, we'll either make it work or we'll take it. <laughs> you know, that was just great. I, I did see this last one. I won't say much about it since you're still kind of looking at it, but it, it kind of continues on. Mm-hmm. And I will just say, Carol is a genius. You even got that from the, la- the last few episodes, though. She is the genius of that group. She her is. Her interview, her recorded interview was awesome right and, and wait, wait till this next the, the next episode too but she she has been an amazing part of that group i i agree with you i liked i liked them getting into alexandria and then it kind of flipping on it because the, the whole paranoia and paranoia these people are weak we don't want to get weak something has to be wrong and you're almost seeing like our group is is like the bad guys almost in this it situation. It is. It's very right much now. they flipped it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like how he said that you shouldn't have invited us in because we've been out there too long. So yeah. even he is, has just yeah. put it out there. We're not good people anymore. Yeah, I, I'm loving what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I think it's excellent. And uh, I, I don't know who who the woman is, but in the comics, it was a dude that was running Alexandria, right? Yes. Yeah. So that was. She's doing a good job. I don't know how close they're going to keep to his like sinister little issues mm-hmm. and social stuff that he had going on, but I like how she's been doing it. Yeah, and Sasha has kind of become our Andrea. I think. I don't know. Uh, watch well, the, next oh, the next episode. The next episode. I, I, think, I, I mean, was going to say she seems useful so far. <laughs> well, I mean, but Andrea was our our crack shot and everything. Oh, I mean, th- that, th- yeah. this this isn't a major spoiler or anything for you for the next episode, but Sasha wants to be the watchtower mm-hmm. person and, and between that and the skills they've given her with the with the weapons and stuff she's kind of like the Andrea since Andrea at this point is definitely still alive in the comic yes <laughs> so she's kind of become our I think our replacement Andrea they, they've taken her some of her characteristics and given it to Sasha right now on the H, not the HBO side, the Amazon side, um, we blew through the entire first season of Bosch. They put it out at the beginning of February, and we watched it all in about one week. And this is a, a character that started off as a sec. Oh, uh, what was his name? He's the dude that wrote the Lincoln Lawyer books. Anyways, he started off. Bosch started off as a detective, a secondary character in in his books, Mickey Holler, and 
he spun off into his own series. And this is about that. He's a police detective, Hollywood division. And this was about a mix of a serial killer and a cold case. The serial killer was trying to take credit for a cold case. And it's not a really unique trope because it's the serial killer that somehow gets the cop's number. So he's always calling the cop for the one-on-one and the one-on-one. And that progresses throughout most of the season. It was 11 or 12 apps. It was really tight. And he's got a bunch of these, uh, Connolly, that's the author's name. He's got four or five books, I think, maybe more. I don't really read them. I prefer the the Mickey Holler books. But he's got four or five of these books, I think. So within two weeks of release, it had better than four-star rating of like four and a half and like 24,000 ratings. So I hope Amazon pays attention to that and will do more because I really liked it. Everybody in there was cool. It fit the theme of the books. I've listened to a couple of the books on uh, on audiobook. That was redundant. Um, <laughs> on road trips and stuff like that. So they are enjoyable, but it's just not the type of thing that I can read. So I'd like to see them do more because, like I said, I enjoyed it. Uh, watched the first season of Star Wars Rebels, and that was, it was fun. It was, I mean, they didn't stretch the Star Wars universe too far to make these guys. There's a Han Solo character. There's a Wookiee character, though he's not a Wookiee. There's a Baba Fett there's all the characters you'd expect in a Star Wars movie, in a Star Wars show. And really, the animation reminded me a lot, kind of too much, of the old reboot series. So it was kind of disconcerting to see something that, I like, was this 1987, uh, 1997, really? <laughs> but it's fun. They brought in some characters over the course of the show from the core, because it's set between the Clone Wars and the first trilogy. Uh, the real trilogy. And it's, uh, so they bring in some villains every now and then that tie into the, into the main and, uh, a couple, a couple heroes every now and then that tie into the main. It was really enjoyable. I wasn't holding out much for it, but it turned out to be actually very enjoyable. I mean, for Disney XD, I, I don't put a lot of stock in their show, but it was Star Wars. So I was going to give it a shot and I liked it. Uh, we went to see Lazarus Effect. Don't do it. We went to see Chappie. Which was really enjoyable. I liked it. Uh, Sarah didn't like it quite as much as I did, but I really liked it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a lightweight Blade Runner. A lot of the concept of life and what is living is, is kind of discussed because it's this robot that gets an AI and goes kind of semi, semi sentient, but not nearly as well done as Dick did it. But still, it was an enjoyable movie set in South Africa. So it was very bleak. I don't know what real South Africa looks like, but if it's based on anything I've seen in the movies, I don't know why people still live there. <laughs> it's just bleak and industrial. <laughs> Sorry, South America. All Skeeks does not hate you. Just Jordan. <laughs> I I don't hate South Africa. I would like to go there, but I just, for everything that I see is in Johannesburg. And apparently Joburg is just this industrial complex of, well, like Manchester during the Thatcher era. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I liked it. Watched the entire first season of Log Horizon, which was really, really cool. Really, really enjoyed that. It's similar to Sword Art in that uh, there's a new patch for the game, new content. And everybody that's on the game at that point, which they come to call the apocalypse, is then stuck in the game. But unlike Sword Art, where they are immediately quest-driven to find a way out of the game and they they have to continue to play the game to level up to get to the ultimate boss to get out hopefully or die trying this goes in a a totally different direction it's very much uh well what do we 
how do we live now that we're in the game? Are we going to be depressed and, and just suck now that we're stuck in the game? Or are we going to make this new world our world? And, uh, actually spend one up kind of delving into the philosophy of being stuck in a video game. Uh, it was very enjoyable. I liked it. Um, when season two is fully translated, I will watch that as well. And I've been watching a little bit more Chihai Furu. I get one or two apps every now and then. I've just got way too many things to watch to dedicate one thing that, unless it's something my wife and I are watching. Yeah, and that's what I got on the watching. I've got a few things, and some of them are carried over from last time we tried to do this episode. <laughs> because once March is over, I have a serious amount of power watching to do. <laughs> but during March, not so much. <laughs> Uh, but we try to watch a few things here and there to try to keep the uh, DVR to a respectable level of not telling us it will never record anything again for us. Why aren't you watching anything? <laughs> exactly. I'm a 99. So leftover from last time was that I did finish all of Californication. Uh, I did really enjoy the show except for the ending. <laughs> thought the ending was kind of dumb and just not the proper way to end that particular show. <laughs> He said The Walking Dead, watching that as well. Justified as well. I'm loving that. Parks and Rec had its final episode for its final season. So this was a great season. I'm neutral about the ending, though. I know a lot of people really enjoyed it. I thought it was okay, but I enjoyed the lead up to the last episode more than I think I enjoyed the last episode. But a very good season. Empire, watching that. Love that show. Megan has a favorite character already on that show that she roots for every time she's on. So <laughs> it's it's been enjoyable. Uh, Flash, of course, watching Flash. Uh, and that's still good, still, uh, still progressing along. And things that people leading up to what we already know now have been trying to explain away and say can't possibly or hopefully is not true are true. <laughs> uh, but it's definitely a great show if you're not watching it. Again, I think... DC is doing an awesome job with their with their uh, shows for for the comic release. I have stuff. high hopes for the CW Super Team shows yeah. that they're talking about. Right, yeah. Uh, and Arrow, speaking of, uh, Arrow, watching that as well. That's really good. We're getting the Lazarus Pit. Come on. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they pretty much... Well, I kind of assumed that that was what the hot tub was supposed to be. That's what I assumed, too. Because yeah. I, I was like... Waiting for him to come back, I was like, nah, they better not bring him back with the Lazarus Pit. They better do something else. And they didn't. But then it turns out, it's like, we're getting the Lazarus Pit. <laughs> also, ridiculous spoiler, you talk about the, the new show that they're going to bring on, the team-up show. They, well, yeah, they, that's, they, that's they, they announced that the dead canary, <laughs> the, the character that's dead on the show, is signed for that show, the actress is. <laughs> I was hmm. like... Okay, I wonder well, if she stayed dead. It could be pre, you know, because yeah, could, could, they overlap. But nope, Adam's going to be in it too. Right. Oh, exactly. Okay. Well, I and, guess fi- and Firestorm. Yeah. Which you can't do pre, really. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And Gotham. Maybe they'll get him a new hoodie, Firestorm. Something <laughs> looks better. Been watching Gotham. I still really enjoy that show. The last episode, they've done this thing where... Like worse than they've ever probably done to the Walking Dead. They've they've split up so many people and have so many different side stories going on that it depends on who they're focusing on 
for each show. Like I like most of the characters, but then you're always, it's almost, it's almost like the ice, a song of ice and fire stuff. It's like, well, this is the book full of people I don't really care about. (laughs) And this last episode, while overall I liked it, the end of it killed it for me because it was the absolutely worst, just extremely horrible CGI I've ever seen on a show for quite a while. It's like they took a really huge leap backwards and just was like, who cares? We don't, we, we got to this point. We don't have enough money left. <laughs> Let's just make Jeffrey Combs, which that irked me because Jeffrey Combs is awesome. Let's just make him look absolutely ridiculous with worthless CGI that nobody's going to believe. And then on top of that, that's the last but thing. But that's you, why you believed it, because it's Jeffrey Combs, who's been every alien ever. No. But then after that, that's the last last thing you see, and then you then you get the we'll be back mid April. <laughs> <laughs> so not a good not a good leaving point. <laughs> we need please uh, for the brain to purge that. Yeah. But overall, again, I, I actually do really like that show. That is the one show I've said before that I've going in, I figured I was gonna not like. And I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. Uh, and then, but the only other thing I was going to say is we did finally get a chance to watch Big Hero 6, and that was a lot of fun. That was a great, great animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Megan would crack up every time that happened. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that was a great, that was a great movie. I love that movie. Yep. It was really fun. What we're reading slash listening to, sponsored by Sheppy, one of our Patreon supporters. Go. A small list, because I have been spending too much time painting. So, I... That that can't be true. It's not too much time, because that was one of your resolutions, so... Yeah, well, I met my resolution, and so I felt I could buy some stuff, and then I realized I hadn't met my resolution, so... (laughs) I kind of broke it, but I didn't realize I had, because then I discovered I had one more thing to paint. Well, possibly I might have 10 more things to paint now. (laughs) Anyway, last ep, I mentioned I was reading Ark Royal by Christopher Nuttall, and nobody will remember that. (laughs) So I was listening to Ark Royal, and I have now completed Ark Royal, which was relatively derivative of Battlestar Galactica, the old battleship set out to pasture is now kind of a museum piece, but the new alien that they meet has the technology to defeat all the current technology. So the, has the technology, the old warhorse has to come out of retirement. And of course, it's been a dumping ground for people that the Admiralty was not fond of, but couldn't get rid of. But they're the only people that know how to run it because their tech, the tech is so so out of date compared to modern battleships that they just only these people can run it. So it's a tale of redemption and it's popcorn. It's it's if it hadn't been so enjoyable, I would have said it's derivative of Galactica. It's it's clearly the dude was heavily inspired by Galactica. So I'll say that it was heavily inspired. Like the only thing he didn't do was describe the commander as Edward James almost. But a lot of Galactica stuff there. Still, I enjoyed it a lot. So I take that as a positive, not a negative. Also listen to Gideon's Sword by Douglas Preston. Uh, this is a character that spun out of, again, a whole series of books that I don't read, but I listen to in the car every now and then on road trips. Douglas Preston and somebody or other. They do, character's name is Pendergast. He's a FBI agent, I believe. No, he's not even FBI. Anyways, he's a dude. 
And it's, it's kind of procedural crime mystery. You know, sometimes there's a murder, sometimes there's a big break in or something, but they always give it a nice little supernatural twist, not like hardcore, but like one of the books, uh, the killer was a golem as defined by Jewish lore. Uh, you know, in another book, the killer was this dude kind of inbred Jed only he didn't even have his family anymore. So he grew up isolated in a cave. So he didn't even know what he was doing was wrong. He was just doing. So one of this, one of these characters, uh, Gideon crew spun out of one of those books. And so he's got this, I think three books about him and he's a scientist with a brain tumor inoperable, but he's also a thief. So the first book is him getting revenge on the man, the, the, the military person that kind of set up his father to take a fall and then got him killed. And then it continues where he's being recruited by this group called ESS, EES, ESS to kind of black bag this Chinese scientist who has presumably some kind of uber weapon that will change the, the face of, uh, of the world politically and economically. It's really good. It's, it's timeline takes place in about a week and it goes, you know, very fast and, but very well written. The Preston and, uh, he, he does good work. His standalone books are good. Whereas the dude he writes with his standalone books are horrible. And yeah, really that's it. Cause most of my last month has just been sitting in front of the computer painting. You have anything? I've been listening to a lot of all geeks lately. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> month's we, almost half over. Apparently, we owe you something here. <laughs> you, you can have your first month's play yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> Fill out your frequent listener card. You get ten punches. You want to be punched. <laughs> all right, I got some comics. Good for you. Uh, but but not many. So I am. I think one. I think I'm one issue behind on Saga, so I got caught up with that, and I'm still enjoying that. Left me in a weird spot on this one last. I was happy to see that another one came out because I was concerned that where they left the the one that I read, because when I read it, there wasn't another issue yet, and usually there's at least one more out there that's too much that I'm willing to pay for a comic, a digital comic, and I wait. Uh, it wasn't out there, so I was concerned that th- I caught them on their break, and I was like, this is not a good place to leave me on it. And it I kind need to know. it almost felt like a cliffhangery kind of thing, but it didn't feel right for Saga to for it to be. Uh so I'm glad to see that it wasn't. But definitely still enjoying that. That's a just a good book all the way around. Again, I caught up with uh the comic called Sex. Uh I think I might be well, that one is hard to say because that's one of the comics that Comicsology app doesn't have the next issues on. So I actually have to go onto the website to get them. So I haven't gone there for a while. So I don't know if there's, there's probably a couple out there maybe. So I might be a few issues behind. So you just that. do a Google search on the name. Yeah. It's, it, it comes right up and they really like it. If you do the search at work, <laughs> uh, latest sex. Okay. And like I said, I, and the sad thing is I, th- I can't remember. I'm like 20 some issues in and I'm still not 100% sure where I fall on this comic. <laughs> I like the premise. I like the idea, but every once in a while it just kind of throws me in like, and at the part I'm in right now, they're focusing more in on the previous sidekick and how he's dealing with the quote unquote Batman, not coming back and taking back his mantle and all that stuff. And, 
and I think one of the last issues I read was he actually found or got delivered late or something, a note or a letter from the woman that died that made the non, the, the guy that, or the, the person that died that made the Batman like character say on her, on her deathbed, I won't return to being this world's Batman. Uh, and, and he's trying to keep that promise now. So and she got, he got a letter from her explaining why the city still needs him though. It's like, I don't care about you. You keep doing what you're doing. This other guy though, not so much. So I, you know, there, it's a lot, there are a lot of enjoyable things about it. There are a lot of, like I said, it's, there's a lot of characters you can kind of equivocate to the Batman universe in some instances and how, you know, the, the villains and stuff like that. So I, I enjoy it from that aspect. I like this. What if Batman retired and truly did what happens? But then every once in a while, I was just like, and by the way, here's a penis. <laughs> you know, just, all right. Well, we'll accept that. I guess it's, it is called sex after all. <laughs> and then they, and then the, like we talked about before, it really bothers me. The alternate highlighting of just certain words. And I keep trying to decipher some kind of meaning of why, like, they highlighted that one word green, but that one's yellow. What do the numbers mean and why do we have to put them into the computer every well, eight hours? Why are you doing that? So you're not sure if you like sex. The comic. <laughs> let's be let's, fair. Let's, let's talk let's about Let's clarify. That, baby. <laughs> let's, let's clarify. <laughs> the comic. Now, there are other... No, no. <laughs> Megan. <laughs> and Things suicide... just got uncomfortable. <laughs> Suicide uh, risk. Speaking of not enjoying sex. Um, <laughs> Segway. Uh, suicide risk. Again, still a great comic. I'm I'm enjoying that one too. That is one that went a whole different direction than I thought it was going to go when it first started out. And it started out with these people just kind of almost like power drug dealers giving people powers. But then you find out there they'll only give you a power if they if you give them your name and everything where you're from first and stuff and that kind of leads into why they're doing that and all that stuff and it, and it's gone way 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 beyond that <laughs> to a whole different level. But uh, I've enjoyed the entire ride through the thing and it's it's that one's on my read list for sure. And then I haven't read it yet, but I wanted to point out um, I haven't I haven't grabbed it yet. I think I put it in my cart, but. I haven't hit the cart yet for my next group of comics because I need to go over and see if the ones that they won't list <laughs> I can buy as well. But Winter Number Four is on Comicsology as well. Oh, I is saw that, that the other out? day. Okay. Yeah. So I'm actually really excited about that. I looked at I looked at that one. I think I threw that in my cart as well. So I definitely want to check out the next issue of that. <laughs> What we're playing. Hey, sponsored by Doug Lewandowski, one of our Patreon supporters. All right, what we're playing. Uh, who wants to go first on this one? I'll go first because right. it's small. It's really, really small. Other than review stuff, I haven't really played anything since Nate because I've just been yeah. really, really busy. Tried to go to a Wild West Exodus tournament this past weekend up at the Source. Uh, so Jordan and I went up, Jordan and I went up there and we were the only two people that showed up. Whoa. Who won? <laughs> they just, they, the Nobody. dude was nice about it. Ben, the TO, he was really nice about it because on, on Facebook, it looked like there were going to be maybe 
six or seven other people other than us showing up. And then we got there and 11 o'clock and we were the only two people. So he gave us the participation prizes to just pick one each. So we each got some more dice and then he just split up the prize support between us, the, the gift certificates to the source. And we each got 25 bucks mainly for being inconvenienced <laughs> showing up and having nobody else to play with. And then we just played a couple games. We each uh, sat down and played them and, I've never played my army at 1500 points, so it was good to see what my 1500 points actually does. And it plays differently than at smaller points. It plays vastly differently. I play Holy Order. It plays a little bit, well, vastly differently, I will say, because I have a really expensive army. All my troops are really expensive compared to most of the other armies. So I am at a figure disadvantage, and that became greatly apparent after a round of bad shooting. And other than that, we, uh, some people over at Jordal's game group were trying to work our way through Imperial Assault and we failed our most recent mission the other Monday night, last night actually. And it was, it was one of those auto win moments. I didn't actually say it, but I looked at the board and I looked at everything and I just said to myself, we win this turn. <sighs> Can't even think it now. Can't even think it. Um, <laughs> uh, he picked up three, three, we had to rescue recruits. He had to kill five and we, he, no, he had to kill eight and we had to rescue five. He's playing the overlord. He's playing the empire. And, uh, it was just horrible. It was, we were, everything was going well. We had one guy off first turn. We had another guy off the next turn. Uh, we were, and the third turn was going to be where we got all three off and we were going to win. And then he just turned around and, bottlenecked us and shot the shit out of us and two of us got stunned and that's what cost us the game when you're stunned you have to give up an action to become unstunned so i couldn't double move to get to the exit two of us got wounded at the same time and we each had a recruit so when you're wounded you drop your recruit and he gets to pick him up for free and so it was like we got this to uh, and we just lost and i know we've (laughs) lost it's going to take another 20 minutes to get there because he's going to go through all the steps to get us to the loss. But yeah, we've lost. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit of a crushing defeat. But we've gone through the intro and four, two core missions and two side missions now. I really like the game. It's, uh, the, the integrated turns for the Overlord and the, and the players instead of, you, you know, the separate turns like in Descent. That's a vast improvement. It's, like if we could all have gone at the same time, yeah, that third round, it would have been five minutes, boom, and we're out. And that's if we decided to talk about how many squares we're going to move, you know, but uh, so now the overlord can't like just, you know, hulk up and do one big thing and take somebody out. But by the same token, the heroes also can't wipe out the overlord in one turn. The integration, the integrated turns is the best change about that game from from Descent, Descent 2.0 to, to Imperial Assault. And really, that's that's what I got because I've missed so many nights at Jordal's house. This I have been playing a ton of Cthulhu Wars lately since I got that yes. finally. At least a dozen games that I've played and or run. And that was that was a good game. That is a solid game. I really like it. You know, you you briefed over that we were at Nate's, but we I don't think we've recorded since we were at Nate's. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that could be true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we played Cthulhu Wars. <laughs> I'm still loving the heck out of it. Uh, it's just starting to see some of the deeper strategies of the different factions and how you can play to your advantages and to the other players' disadvantages and stuff like that. And I haven't even gotten the massive number of expansions that are coming later this year. 
I was pleasantly surprised by that one. Like I said, I, I was so, because, especially because of the cost, I was so on the fence. And then I leaned towards, well, I'm just, I'm not going to get it because it's just too costly and I would want everything. Mm-hmm. But when you broke it out and, and showed it to us, that was a great, that, I had a lot of fun with that game. Visually, it's amazing. It is but, so pretty. It's, it's astonishing, but just the gameplay is a lot of fun and there's a surprising amount of depth for as simple as it is. Mm-hmm. And you had to play it a lot of times with each faction to really get a handle on how to play everything well. Uh, I've played a bunch of other things, some Smash Up, some Tiny tiny Epic Defenders, Elder Horror I got for Christmas, played a couple times, Ghost Stories, Lost Legends. I also took over someone else's game night to play the game Artemis, PC game. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Calling it a game, is it's, it's a Starship Bridge Simulator. They've had it at Gen Con for years. I picked up Con the, of the North has had it a couple. Oh times yeah, yeah. Too. yeah. I picked up the, the the bridge copy, which gives me six uh, licenses for it. So we got a bunch of laptops together and got a ship. Ran into our own minefields a couple times, <laughs> but we did uh, win overall. That that game is super fun. If you can get a group, you got to get a bunch of people together, laptops in the same room. But nowadays, it's not that hard to do. And uh, fly your ship around and try and kill stuff. It's a blast, and it's not too bad for six licenses, forty bucks. And it's kind of on your honor. A, yeah, that is really it's not bad. bad. Yeah, so I played it a couple times now. I love the heck out of it. So I, I'm glad I got it. Still playing Super Smash Brothers Wii U. I have the uh, calluses to prove it. I finally managed to unlock all the special moves. Totally proud of myself for that. Took a long time. <laughs> <laughs> My Sunday night gaming group, we've been mostly playing this game called Guns of Icarus that went on sale recently, where uh, you crew a steampunk flying ship, like a balloon ship with a bunch of guns on it, and you go shoot down other people's flying ships. And you do it with death matches or King of the Hill or stuff like that sort of matches. But you've got your pilots, your engineers, your gunners. You take a job, you're running around banging away on stuff, trying to repair it while someone's shooting at you, getting close to flamethrower them. We've had a lot of fun with it. It could be annoying sometimes to try and get into a game. It could take a while, but when you're in the games, they're a lot of fun trying to work together and... Yelling at your captain for going the wrong direction, stuff like that. Mm. Now that I have a smartphone, I've been playing a few things on there. A little game called Terra Battle, which is an interesting um, tactical game. It's kind of puzzle solving in that you got to be smart and figure out how best to do things, but you also got to be like, dexterous. Catch me out. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm out. So it's like puzzle solving plus dexterity. Oh, yep. double whammy. Double. <laughs> yep. <sighs> Just tell me you don't want me to play. <laughs> I can take it in. And I was spending stupid amount of time on Marvel Puzzle Quest. Which is Puzzle Quest with a Marvel skin on it, but they actually did it really well. Made it a little different than the usual Puzzle Quests, which I like that this system better and the whole thing about collecting all the different characters and leveling them up and stuff. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, nice thing to crack out every once in a while or just when something's compiling for 20 minutes. Just <laughs> play a quick round of that. Don, aren't you supposed to be working? I am. See? <laughs> yep. the clock. See compiling right there? <laughs> After putting a little bit of money into it, I haven't felt the need to put a lot of money into it, which is good. But I've gotten just a ton of play out of it, even from a small investment. So I've been really happy with that one. I, too, did not write down what we played at <laughs> either, but Cthulhu Wars was obviously one of them. You showed us Tiny Epic Kingdoms, right? Or did somebody else show us it? Yeah, that was oh, Kingdoms. Yes, yes. Yeah, we played yep. Kingdoms there. We played that. So that was a lot of fun. Finally got to play that one. And the other thing, I Lost Legends. Yes. We completely forgot how much we enjoyed Lost Legends <laughs> until we got game. to play it again. Of course, then I came home and pulled it off the show. I was like, why haven't we? Oh, three plus. That would be why. <laughs> it's, it's, that is Jordan, a really Jordan, solid game, and yeah. it really needs expansions. 
Oh, it totally does. I, I totally agree with you. We had a lot of fun with that one, though. And there the, was a whole day. table of people that were not sure whether or not they were enjoying Dead of Winter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There were there there were some interesting comments coming out of that table. Did anybody play test this <laughs> game at all? <laughs> that was awesome. So other than that, let's see. As far as actual tabletop stuff, the only thing I had on my list was diamonds. We've been playing diamonds off and on here. Megan and I have. Jordan and I played it uh, a couple times, right? A couple yep. times. Yeah. So I like that one. It's it's a it's a pretty nice casual game. Definitely, if you have a card player in your family and you want to give them just a a little taste of something in the board game realm, diamonds is a great one for that. It's a, it's a cool trick taker with some nice actions uh, associated with each trick you take or playing off suit. So it, it's really cool. But besides that, let's see, on the Xbox One, pure pool every once in a while. <laughs> Jordan's familiar with coming over. The, both Megan and I really like that one. It's a great, you just got a few minutes, you want to do something. It's, it's billiards, you know, It's it's uh, it really took me back to playing pool leagues. The only problem we have with it is that, in order for Megan and I to both play as ourselves, like signed in, we have to take turns. So Megan signed on. She takes her turn. Whatever happens, she jumps out. She doesn't. But but next time I sign in, then I can take my turn. We can't play at the same time unless the second player is just a generic player too. So you don't get any of your achievements or anything like that if they happen because you're just some generic. So you can play two people at once. The second person is just not going to get anything from it if there's any achievements that come with it but you can play two player signed in but it's asynchronous basically it's like okay hey did you take your turn last night okay i'll jump on which is ridiculous especially for a pool game right it's like oh i i scratched oh i made one ball now it's your turn again oh i'll check again tomorrow (laughs) but we do like the game overall and then there's also the playing the ai and all that stuff in different different games and different tournaments, and that's our kind of go-to when we just want a chill game. Uh, and you can jump in and out of that real easy. And then my uh, game game that I put in the Xbox One, if I want to play something for a little bit, has been Far Cry 4. That's been my game of choice recently. Someday I will finish that, and that, and that someday is well, well in the future because I think I sign on for a couple of minutes and then just jump back off. I finished... Uh, the two episodes that are out for the Game of Thrones Telltale game, that is awesome, which you kind of expect from Telltale at this point, right? You're just going to get a really good story with great choices to make. Uh, I really like the you, you're playing as House Forrester, which is a bannerman to Stark, and you start, well, that's how you start because you jump characters throughout, but usually it's somebody tied to that house that you're playing. Your very first starting point is... You're outside during the Red Wedding. You're camped outside during the Red Wedding. So that's where you pick up in the story belonging to this house. And you've got, like, one of your family members is in King's Landing as a handmaiden to Marjorie. Like, I've interacted with her. I've interacted with Cersei. I've interacted with Tyrion. But that's the other thing. Like, when you're playing, I'm always like, I know I like Tyrion. With somebody from House Forrester who just got murdered at the Red Wedding... Like Tyrion, what should his what should his response be? F you, short man, imp, or hey, you're pretty cool. <laughs> so you got to do that player knowledge thing. 
but that's been a lot of fun. Like I said, it's been two episodes. I finished it. Megan finished it. We're already like, when's the next one coming out so we can continue this? She's really loved the whole, that whole family character. And I've also started the Borderlands Telltale one, but I've just like basically started that. But uh, again, that seems pretty decent so far as well. And then playing a lot of Hearthstone and a lot of Scrolls. Has anybody tried Scrolls? Anybody else? No? That's the Mojang one from the guys that put out, you know, Minecraft. This is the one that they got like sued over for Elder Scrolls. No, oh, really? For the naming or whatever. Like, you can't call it Scrolls. People will think it's Elder Scrolls. <laughs> you know? What? And I've, I've actually enjoyed both of them. They're very drastically different type of games, but they're as far as like their implementation and the actual battle and stuff, but it is the CCG LCG style, you know, it's the deck builder stuff and grinding through. If you don't want to pay, you know, grinding through to get enough money to buy extra cards and all that stuff. So on both of them, I have paid, but not, to like unlock cards or so it's like i've played for quite a while and like in scrolls you can play all like the easy quests but you can't get the medium and hard and there's some other things but so i it, it, that was like five bucks so i was like oh i'll just i i'm enjoying this enough i can give you five bucks for it and i kind of did the same thing with hearthstone you could grind through the adventure campaign if you really wanted to or you can give them money to unlock the whole thing i was like oh i'll, I'll give them money to unlock a campaign I'm just not going to give them money per card or whatever. But I've been enjoying both of those. So that's pretty much what I had as well. Well, there you go, everybody. Another episode. Episode 57 in the books, hopefully. <laughs> Find out later. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming along on the journey with us once again. I'm Jeff King. I'm the Canadian. Thanks for listening. Yep. Sold. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Geeks of the North, a hobby and gaming podcast from LaBelle Province, discussing all aspects of the miniature wargaming hobby. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com. Where we unleash the bomb Jeff and Jordan from coast to coast Best of the best, the number one host So put up your cups and toast Cause here the end we approach But come back for more raps More fun, more laughs More this, more that Up and down the mat Cause we geeked up And thanks for showing love We give up viewers thanks With knowledge in the bank Cause y'all are top rank And never should be spanked So thanks for tuning in And giving us a spin Cause here we win, win, win that's how we always been. Well, it's been fun. It's been real. Till next time, stay chill. Stay trill. Do what you like and like how you feel. Because y'all are the real deal. Holy feel. On your toes is keeping you young. Oh, good lord, that ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> I don't have that many toes. <laughs> keeping you on the stubs of your ankles. Is... So, you plan to have this edited before then?
Don't don't shoot holes in any logic. You just you just accept what is happening, and, and you don't care. Shut it. 